Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Um, good morning to you in 101, 102, to you online as well. Um, what a great day to be here. Um, this week you received an email from Brian, I'm sorry, from uh, Marshall May and Jared Schultz, our missions deacons, asking you to be in prayer this month, um, the month of Ramadan for Muslims. Um, and we are partnering with Missions Resource Network. Um, this is a month for them where they are seeking God, and, and the prayer and the hope in this is that they will experience and find the true living God and be um, impacted by Jesus Christ, His Son. So in that email, and I believe it's on our Facebook page, I think, maybe, no, could be later, maybe. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll magically appear later today there. Um, but you can go to the, the website for Missions Resource Network and sign up, and they will send you an email daily with some specific things that you can be praying for during this month. And that is our hope, that, that they would get to see Jesus. Um, the other thing, um, this morning, um, I have a few more scriptures than I usually use. And so if you like the YouVersion app, um, you might want to go to the notes section there, um, because I won't have time to go through all of them up on the screen um, but I, I kind of looked at this starting a new series um, today called Messiah um, is a, a message that really is trying to connect the dots in the book of Mark. Um, looking back the first eight chapters, also kind of looking forward um, at where the story is going and, and trying to bring it all together in a, a really profound way. And so if you are on YouVersion, um, you can find it there. It's in the events tab. Um, and there are the notes for you. So I'm going to start with um, this basic understanding. And understand, as I say this, every one of you are going to say, well, yeah, we know that, Gary, that's, that's pretty um, simple, we got it. But, but I want to put it up there just in case. Um, every, everything you do or say has implications. N nothing profound, right? You, you know that. Um, what you eat has implications. I was at the, the funeral yesterday for James Farmer, and my really good friend Ray uh, McPherson said, hey, um, I've just been watching on television the last few weeks. Looks like you've been gaining weight. <laughs> Thanks, Ray. So I'll see my counselor a couple times this week, and we'll work through some things. Um, now, I, I, I set goals at the beginning of every year, and this year my goal was um, the 2021, um, to gain 20 pounds in 2020, and then I'm working towards the 21 right now. So, um, now my wife told me I couldn't buy any more clothes, and so I really do probably need to start um, going the other direction, because um, I have plenty of clothes, just they need to fit. Um, what, what you watch, right, has implications. Um, if you watch things with, with bad language in it. You learn this as a kid. Um, that starts to come out in your life. It starts to shape your life. Um, what you say has implications. Um, we're, we're learning. We live in a world where it's really difficult to take things back that you say, um, which I'll just tell you as a, a preacher who's now on camera and recorded every week, um, that's a great thing. It's also in ways terrifying because Whatever you say cannot be taken back, right? And, and so um, what you say has implications. And it's in that, that vein right there, what you say has implications, that I want to spend this next 
basically two months in the book of Mark. Because what we talked about last week was there was a huge hinge point in the gospel of Mark. Where where we see Jesus healing a blind man. And it goes into this in verse 27 of chapter 8. It says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked them, who do people say I am? They respond. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But then Jesus asked them, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Jesus, or Peter responds, you are the Messiah. So, so what you say has implications. And what I want to do is I want to spend some time over the next several weeks asking ourselves, what are the implications of Peter's answer? Not just for Peter, but what are the implications for you and I? This word Messiah is a word that means the anointed one, and in Israel's thinking, the anointed one of God in the line of King David. <clears throat> they were waiting for this new king to come and bring hope and healing and freedom to Israel, to the people of God. And so what we did for the first half of this sermon trilogy in the book of Mark is we asked this question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And Peter finally gets to this point in Mark where he answers and he says, you are the Messiah. So the question for this series is we wrestle with what are the implications of our confession, Jesus is Messiah? What what does it mean for Peter to say that? But more importantly, what does it mean for you and I to confess that Jesus is Messiah? Now understand, for these disciples, for these apostles... These first followers of Jesus, they had their expectations of what this meant. Okay, Jesus is Messiah, and in their mind, this was a new earthly conquering king who was going to come and establish the nation of Israel. And they had their expectations of what that would look like, how it was going to happen, when it was going to happen. It was all built in their mind. But right after his confession. I want you to look what happens next in verse verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man, Jesus referring to himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned... And looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So so Peter has these expectations of how this is going to unfold and what's going to happen. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to be, um, I'm going to suffer and die at the hands of these religious leaders And I'm going to leave you. And if their expectations are a king sitting on a throne, reigning over a nation, there is this huge letdown. And so Peter says, no, no, no. 
because you have to understand in Peter's mind, like, we're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that does not happen. Later, Peter's going to say, no, I will not disown you. I'll die for you. Peter had this in his mind, how this was going to happen and what was going to come next. And Jesus says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. And you're going to be left here. And I think for the disciples, this blows their mind. What, what do you mean this is the next step? This is not what's supposed to happen. In fact, it's not you who is supposed to be killed. It's you that's supposed to do the killing. You're supposed to take over. You're supposed to sit on your throne. And there's no one that's going to prevail over you if you truly are Messiah. Because they've had this progression of who Jesus is. Jesus starts asking them to follow him. And they see Jesus healing people. And, and then they start to, to see these wonders as he's casting out evil spirit or um, impure spirits. And then they start to wonder, is he a prophet? Even Herod calls him a prophet. And then there's this moment for Peter where in the gospel of Mark it just seems to click. Wait, wait, wait. You are Messiah. And like I said, their expectations were this conquering king. Right Later on in another gospel, they're going to ask, can we sit at your right and left when you're on the throne? They, they understand. But, but here's what happens. Is doubt creeps in when God fails to meet our expectations. Doubt creeps in when God fails to meet our expectations. When God doesn't show up when and how you thought he would. Right? And every single one of us have experienced that. And here's the thing. We hate to, to talk about doubt. Because we feel like doubt is this weakness. But understand this. Doubt is a prerequisite of faith. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Certainty is the opposite of faith. Doubt is a prerequisite. If you don't struggle with seeing and knowing and believing, then it's not really faith. Doubt is a prerequisite. And, and so for his disciples to be confused, for you and I to be confused when God doesn't do Things the way we thought he would, the way we hoped he would, is perfectly normal. It doesn't make you weak. What it does is make us lean in more to the person of Jesus. And it makes us search. And it makes us trust, but it also makes us grow. Because there is a gap between what we believe will happen and what God does. And on the other side of God showing up, we start to see the beauty of his fingerprints all over our story. And if you're like me, I'm sure there are times where you thank God that he did not work in the way that you thought he should. And so doubt, I think, for these disciples starts to creep in. And they start to wonder, wait, what is all of this? And Peter gets rebuked by Jesus. 
Why? Because Jesus was moving the kingdom forward in the only way that it could possibly go. And Peter didn't get it. And he was trying to stand in the way, a different way than the way of Jesus. See, they all have their assumptions. We all have our assumptions. And we assume that God is on our side. We assume that God is doing things the way we thought he would. So what are the implications? What what are the implications? And and trust me, um, to make this into one message was incredibly difficult. And so I'm just going to kind of give you three implications that, that I think are the most important. And, and maybe they aren't the most important. Um, just the, the three that for me um, mean the most. The first is a new allegiance. It, it gives us this new allegiance because their confession that Jesus is Messiah is the confession that Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, that means Caesar is not Lord. That means they are going to submit and that their loyalty is to King Jesus and King Jesus alone. And throughout the writings of Paul, he pushes us back to this allegiance. That first and foremost, the gospel of Jesus Christ is centering us in our life. It frames our life. It moves us forward as followers of Jesus There's this ancient Christ psalm that's recorded in Philippians. And he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. It's, It's that he is God, but he does not use that as his right to do whatever he wants in this world. Instead of using it to his own advantage, um, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is his journey to the cross, but it's also an invitation Because first and foremost, the gospel has always been an invitation to come and die. We we want it to be this invitation to come and live, and that's true. But we don't find life in Christ until we're on the other side of death. And what we're speaking of is not this physical death where you're put into the ground, but it's this spiritual death where you are dying to yourself and being buried with Christ so that you could be raised from the dead. Paul in Romans talks about this when he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were being baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. 
So, so for you who have been baptized into Jesus, part of your confession was that I will no longer live. I'm joining myself to Jesus in his death and his resurrection. And I'm dying to myself and to my wants and to my rights so that I can live for you. And that I'm going to be your ambassador. That I'm going to shape and form my life like you. And, and that's just the beginning of the process. Right? We join ourselves to Christ in a way that says, I want to be like Jesus. And so everything we do, everything we say, begins to emulate him. Right? There, there's that book, I think it was Shelton who wrote it, years and years ago, what would Jesus do? What a powerful, powerful question in every single moment, every single day of our life. How would Jesus respond? Read the Gospels. How does Jesus respond to people? How does he respond when things don't go his way? How does he respond during hard times? You see, we have this new allegiance because we believe that the power of sin and death was broken when God raised Jesus from the dead. And that he now reigns as king over everything. The writer in Revelation says it like this. The kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. And he will reign forever and ever. And our allegiance belongs to King Jesus. Everything we do is geared towards him. And I don't know about you, but I wake up so many days with so many other things on my mind and so many things going on that, that at times I forget that. And, and I want my allegiance to be to me. What I want to do, what I want to happen. And I don't want to bow my knee and I don't want to submit to him. Because I have my own way and I, I'm, I'm guessing I'm not alone in that. But that every single day, it's almost as if I have to re-be baptized. Just to say, I'm, I'm today dying again to myself and, and joining you in your plan. Because we have the, the belief, we have the, the understanding that forgiveness is the only thing that has the power to break the bonds of sin and death. Do you believe that? Do you believe that forgiveness is the only thing that has the power to break the bonds of sin and death? Then that means we also are people who give it. Our world has become even more and more unforgiving, it seems, over the past year. More and more critical, more and more difficult. And right now, they need to see the power of forgiveness in this world. They need to see the power of grace and mercy from a cross where God looks over the world and says, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And part of the implications of Peter's confession for you and I is that we begin to model that life because our allegiance is to King Jesus and King Jesus alone. But it's going to cost you. It's not going to be easy. 
It was never supposed to be. It was always, first and foremost, the invitation to come and die. And Luke, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, just in case you're wondering if you want to follow me, if you're going to build a tower, wouldn't, wouldn't you first sit down and consider the cost of it? And, and then if you don't have the money to actually finish it, you, you wouldn't lay the foundation because then everyone's going to laugh at you and say, well, you started this, but you weren't, weren't really committed to it. Or if you're going to go off to war, and you realize this other king had thousands more men than you, you would stop and consider the cost of what you're doing. And he tells his disciples, like, if you're not willing to give up everything and follow me, then don't start. And I say, that has incredibly huge implications for you and I. That we wanted this to be easy. We wanted this world to just change. But this world changes through the power of Christ in his people dwelling in them so that they are sent into this world to bring hope and healing. The second is there is a new body. And yes, we talk about death and resurrection, and so yes, there's an individual level on what, what, which that occurs and which that happens, that we are given this new body, that, that we're now alive as a part of God's kingdom right now on earth as it is in heaven. But it's bigger than that. That it's not just this new body, it's this new body. That, that we're a part of something bigger than ourself. And, and for so long, we, we've made salvation simply about what you need to do to be right with God. But here's the thing, God never meant you to do this on your own. He never meant you to follow Him by yourself. He always meant that this would be a people, when He sent Abram, that this would be a people that would bring blessing to the world collectively, communally. That we would gather together. Right after Acts, as Peter preaches, and it says the Holy Spirit comes in power in Acts. Watch what happens. I didn't mark that one. Um, Watch what happens to their community. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's this community of people that is expanding. And what you see in that early church is this explosion, is the power of the Spirit, is at work in His church through His people. And it seems like nothing can stop it. And I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that kind of community where God's Spirit is dwelling within us 
and moving within us and challenging us and transforming us and sending us out into this world. Constantly through the New Testament, it talks about the importance of one another. Over a hundred times, there are these one another phrases. 59 different ones love one another, be patient with one another, bear with one another, encourage one another, build up one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, spur on one another, confess sins to one another, pray for one another, have humility towards one another. That this body would be the heartbeat of the saints. It would be a living breathing representation of Christ on this earth. Then finally, a new hope. What what are the implications that Jesus is Messiah? It gives us a new hope. It, It gives us hope that death and decay do not win the day that they do not get the final word. It it gives us hope that the way things are now is not the way they will always be. It gives us hope that there is life beyond this. Not just someday in the future, but here and now. Things can be different. In, In Hebrews is. Um, The writer talks about Abraham. He says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him to the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. But understand this. For the architect and builder are God, the hands and feet that do the work are his church. As Jesus prays his prayer in, in Matthew, teaching his disciples, he prays that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. It is our job Not in our own strength, not in our own power, but the power of Christ, the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, this power of the Spirit living in us, that we would be builders of that kingdom. And what did Abraham do? He left everything he knew. He left it all behind and went and followed wherever God called him, not knowing where he was going, not knowing what tomorrow would look like. Not knowing what was at the end of the journey. And he makes his home in this land where he lives as a stranger, as an alien, as a foreigner. But the hope is that alien, that stranger, that foreigner would be a light. That would bring hope in the midst of that darkness. That it would bring the love of God into this world. I just want to ask today, have you lost sight of the importance of that confession? 
Because I, I'll just tell you, I'll just be honest. Life gets so busy that we run from one thing to another. And, and I know, I, I get, we've had a year of slowing down. But, but when my kids went back to school, everything sped right back up. And, and it goes from early in the morning to late at night every day. And if I don't do something every single day to reorient my life, my world around Jesus, that allegiance, that hope, that commitment start to fade into the background. If I don't every day do something to bring myself back to Christ, I start to grow weary. And I start to lose hope. And I start to look for other ways besides the way of Jesus to make things work. Ezekiel gives this powerful picture of what would happen when the kingdom of God truly came into the land. And he talks about this vision that he experiences where he's standing outside the temple and he sees this water that's trickling out of the the temple flowing eastward. And for those of you who've been around, we know how profound that is, that it's flowing eastward. And there's this man calling to Ezekiel, saying, come on in, son of man. And he says he, he comes on into the water, and it's about ankle deep. And he measures out a little further, and he says, no, come on in deeper. And he goes out, and it's to his knees. He says, no, come on, follow me. And he comes in a little deeper, now it's to his waist. And he says, no, come on, in deeper. And now it's this river that he can't even, that he can swim in. That's so deep that it's this rushing current. And then it's going into this new world. And it's flowing eastward into the Dead Sea. And everything in the Dead Sea that was dead is now made alive because of the power of this river. And where there were, was nothing, it was just desolate. Now there are these trees on each side of the river. And they're bringing fruit for all the nations but the power in the trees is for the healing of the nations. And I just wonder, what would happen in our world if we still believed that the church had the power to bring that healing to the nations? Not just intellectually believing that Jesus is the hope of the world, but actually living like it day after day. Have you forgotten? Have you lost sight of it? Have you, have you been disconnected from your first love? John has this powerful moment in the book of Revelation where, where he's in the throne room and he's getting to see a glimpse of Jesus and his beauty and he understands, he, I mean, he doesn't understand what's going on. He just sees the beauty of Christ. 
And John begins to weep. Because there's this seventh scroll, and he said there's no one who can open the scroll. And then it says he turns and looks. And there on the throne, he sees the lion of the tribe of Judah. But it's not a lion. It's a lamb that looks like it had been slayed. And even though it had been slayed, it was somehow still alive. And the scene that ensues is this picture of people from all over the world worshiping Jesus. And it begins focused in around the throne with these four elders that are falling down on their face, worshiping God. And it says, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood purchased from God, persons of every tribe and language and people and nations, you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign forever. And it, it pans out, and there's these 24 elders that say, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise and it pans out and there are these thousands of angels to him who sits on the throne and unto the lamb be praise and honor and glory forever and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped i just want to ask guys have we lost sight of that Have we lost sight? Have you lost your first love? And so I want to I just finish this morning. I want to ask you to do something that might be really hard for some of you, really uncomfortable for others, that we don't do very, but I would just like us, if we could, just to fall down on our knees. And if you can't do that, I, I completely understand. I know pews aren't most conducive. But if you could just get down on your knees where you are if you can trust me if you can't please don't feel like you have to but this morning could we bring our heart and our soul and our mind back to King Jesus Father, we submit to you. Father, you are our King and our Lord. And Father, we, we live in a world that is broken and dying. That seems at times to just be falling apart at the seams. But Father, we believe the power of your gospel has the power to heal and make whole. Father, today is your church. Father, we once again, um, we, we come and submit to you. We lay our lives down at your feet. And Father, we ask for your spirit to fill us, to empower us, to help us be a part of this new world 
to live as if we believe it is true every single day. Father, we join the elders, the angels, the multitudes from every tribe and nation and tongue, and we fall down at your feet and we confess worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. And Father, it's our prayer that that confession would change our life. And Father, it would transform this world. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.